Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest is Jill Thomas. She's a hypnotherapist. She's the author of the book called The High Income Healer. So we're going to talk about her work as a hypnotherapist and intuitive coach, clairvoyant. So welcome, Jill. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me, Richard. I always love talking about hypnotherapy. I could do it all day. Actually, I do do it all day. Well, it's like my chiropractor said. I said, oh, you did a good job. He goes, thank you. I've been practicing. I love that. I like your chiropractor. Well, right on. Well, tell me a bit about your background and how you got into hypnotherapy and the coaching that you do now. So I got into hypnotherapy uh, after watching one of those stage shows. Uh, I was in high school and our high school grad night, we had famous hypnotist Marshall Silver. He's been on a lot of things, but I watched him and he made the most popular kids in school do some batshiz crazy things. And I thought, I want in. I mean, that's magic. I want to know how they do it because it was pretty amazing, right? So I took a bunch of classes and all that time, I actually had a regular career. I, I was selling car insurance. I worked for in the vitamin industry, I actually worked in corporate for a long time, corporate world. But on the side, it was always this little side hustle of helping people lose weight, helping people getting better golf games, getting over their fear of driving on the freeway and success issues. And that was that was really kind of how I got started. So for the first 10 or 15 years I was doing this, I wasn't getting any money. And then somebody actually, yeah, it wasn't maybe that long. But somebody said, you know, people will pay you for this. <laughs> It's like, wow, I like money. I'll take that. And, and it, it's a fun thing to do. And it's a very satisfying career working in the mind part. The other thing that was helpful for me too, because I was working in the corporate world and I was doing a lot of sales, I actually got a lot of clients who were sales reps who had to get past fear of doing the things that make sales successful, like cold calling or continuing to follow up. The thing, the activities that are not necessarily as much fun for a sales rep, but they generate revenue. So I had a lot of clients who were in the sales and corporate world helping them get past those fears because I had to get past them myself for my career. Hmm, I understand. So you saw hypnotherapy, was it the power of it that intrigued you or what What about it uh, made you want to go into it? And you know, what did you experience versus what you saw and you thought it was like? Like what's the reality oh, versus again? You're, you're that's on. a great question. Because I thought, I, I mean, I thought it was a Jedi mind trick, right? I just, I thought it was just this cool parlor thing. <laughs> but in reality, it's, I mean, it is that. The results can be amazing, but it, it really is just, it's a deep meditation. I think most people don't realize that your unconscious mind controls about 99% of your daily activities are unconscious. They're sort of habits. So I kind of jokingly tell people I'm in the habits of human nature business. I help people shift those habits so that they are more life enhancing, more life affirming, and they're able to create the things that they want to create. So in reality, it is a deep meditation. People get into trance all day long, particularly Software engineers, I get a lot of software engineers. I, I, my practice was in San Diego for a long time. And they hypnotize themselves all day long. I mean, they go into this little world of ones and zeros. I know that's not how it works. So don't yell at the, don't yell at your phone. But they go into this little world and they disappear for hours and time just goes by and they don't even realize it. That's actually the hypnotic state. So imagine going into that state of mind and telling your mind, okay, you know, candy bars, not so much. Lettuce, awesome. Do that. Is it a hypnotic state or is it a flow state? Because I've heard... Uh that kind of state described well as a flow state. 
I mean, you can call it that. It's the same thing. It's, it's just the alpha state. So it's, it actually has to do with the level of brainwaves, the way the brainwaves work. So a light state of trance. So yes, well, flow is another great way of describing it. Well, the reason I ask is, has anyone used hypnotherapy to put someone into a flow state so they could work better and more effectively and think better? Or is it just used to solve problems and help people overcome difficulties instead of performance? I think a lot of people use hypnosis. They might use like hypnotic music to get themselves into a flow state, as you might call it. We might also call it an alpha state, which is just a light state of trance. You can actually use music to do that. Certain kinds like hemi-sync music will do that in the background. I wouldn't say that I need to hypnotize someone for that. I have these little meditations that kind of bring someone to a light state of trance, but I wouldn't say you need to actually, you know, count down the stairs and do the whole ritual in order to get them into that sort of relaxed alpha state, that flow state, as you're describing it. Most of the people come in because they want to solve a problem. But you can't actually just use that same induction just to get into a really relaxed place where you can focus, if that makes sense. I mean, can someone focus in a hypnotic state or they're relaxed, but they really have to be guided to do stuff? Like they don't, they don't really have active agency. Like maybe I'm sure they have passive agency, but maybe not active. I think what you're kind of describing is the same state. So hypnosis, you can go into different levels. It's almost like uh, an elevator. If we're going to go to the top floor, we're going to be able to talk and think answer questions. If you're going to go to like the 10th floor, you're not going to be able to answer questions out loud. You're going to be really dreamy. So you can get into that sort of first level pretty easily where you, you can do this with your eyes open and people and kind of get into that mild state of trance. Actually, people get that way when they watch commercials on TV sometimes, especially the things with the blinky flashy stuff in it. Uh, you'll get into that sort of very just mildly relaxed place. That is the hypnotic state. And so people would call it the flow state. People will call it the alpha state. But it's just a really light state where you're able to focus really intently. Also, it's sub for most people, that's kind of hard to stay in that place for a really long time. So you're not going to be able to, some people, I always say software engineers can do it for hours at a time. But most people can't do it for more than like 45 minutes. That's why people, you know, go in, work on something and then take a break. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I've heard of like Pomodoros, you know, someone can only focus intently for a period of time. You know, no one's got a machine that goes for hours and hours and hours. So again, it's the most hypnotherapists and do you do this for performance sake or more to help with underlying problems someone has, addictions, uh, you know, data thinking, et cetera? It's really both. Like working with a, I, right now I'm working with a lawyer. He wants to get more comfortable getting more things done quickly. So we go into the relaxed state, we go into the hypnotic state, and just imagine him dropping in with a couple of uh, triggers, like turning on certain music causes him to get instantly get relaxed as part of his hypnotic process. That's part of the thing I created. And so when he gets into that state of mind, he's able to get twice as much done in a shorter length of time. But the hypnotic meditation that we made caused him to do that more automatically because he's got some trigger trigger options, actually music for him that, that puts him right in that focus state. And also too, a lot of hypnotherapists, because we are in the habits of human nature business, we do kind of tend to know a lot about how people operate. So I know from experience, having done this for a long time, that you're not going to try and do four hours of working on a brief. You're going to want to do 45 minutes, go watch something stupid on TV, come back to another 45 minutes. And so tips and tools and things like that can be another thing that, that hypnotherapists will offer for a period of time. But a lot of times I do suggest like hemi-sync music. If you're just trying to get into a state of mind where you can focus really intently and study where you can focus really intently to, to get that thing done that you need to get done. But also part of that is the habit of not having a lot of distractions on at the same time. You don't want to be watching, you know, Mad Men in the background. So what is a session like, you know, to help someone with a problem versus a performance session? 
you know, what like an index of what happens, what happens first, next, next, next. Sure. Yeah. So the first thing happens, first one comes in, you know, hello, tell me about your problem. So the first half of the session is us talking, what's going on, what are you wanting to achieve? What are you, what are you trying to do that you're feeling like you can't do? Let's talk about that. Sometimes I'll ask about issues about their childhood, particularly for certain issues like weight loss. There's almost always, I hate to say this, it's really common. There can be often be a sexual violation incident or incidents that cause the person to feel like they need to put on fat to feel safer. So we might talk about that. We might not if it's not relevant or if a person doesn't want to talk about that. And then the second half of the session is where you do the hypnotic trance. It's usually only about 15 to 18 minutes, less if they happen to have ADD. And a lot of people have that Let, just because they have harder time focusing. So you actually are better off doing shorter session with them. And then after that, bring them up. Tell me about what you saw, how you experienced it, how you feel. Yes, everybody's happy. Great, great, great. And then it's the end of the session and they get a recording of it so they can do it again because it's really helpful for them to do it again. Particularly if they've never done hypnosis before, sometimes they're going to be yeah, a little nervous. They don't know me that well. You know, They may be not letting themselves go real deep because they don't know where I'm going with what I'm saying. But when they listen to the recording again, they'll probably let themselves go deeper. I also put music in the background to make it more relaxing. So typically that recorded therapeutic process they do again can actually, in some cases, be more valuable than the first time they did it. Well, wait. So when someone listens to the recording, are they going to be hypnotized by the recording? Because you're speaking and saying the same thing. So do you encourage them not to just listen, but listen and actively let yourself be hypnotized as you listen to the recording? So if I tell somebody they'll be hypnotized, they're going to think, am I doing this right? Is this working right? I don't know. I usually just tell them, close your eyes, allow yourself to relax, and don't worry about it, and know that I'm recording it. As soon as I say, don't worry about it, they stop thinking about the fact that they paid $95, and if they're not hypnotized, they'll feel like they didn't get their money's worth, right? (laughs) So telling them just to enjoy it, pay attention, follow along, and know that it's being recorded. So if you miss something, you get to do it later. But yeah, they actually do the recording later, and they can be just as relaxed or even more, usually more the second time because they're, you know, they're in their own space. They can have their cat on their lap. They know what to expect. They know it's not weird. And they realize pretty quickly that it's not mind control. It's not a Jedi mind trick. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. People are afraid you'll hypnotize and rob them or you know, ask them stuff they don't want to reveal. Like Yeah, people are afraid of that. People are afraid of that. People are afraid of giving a stranger their credit card number, so I totally understand, right? I actually have it online, so I never actually see that credit card number, just to let you know. But yeah, people are afraid that I'm going to implant suggestions somehow that aren't to their highest good. And the truth is that you just you are gonna remember everything that is said and done in that session. I don't want people to go so deep that they can't drive home afterward, right? It's Part of the process is that I want them to know what is said. I want them to remember it because 
I'm a professional. I'm a, I'm an expert. I want them to remember all the fluffy, kind, loving words that I put into that process that encourage them to do the things they really want to do and encourage them to feel happy about the good stuff. But yeah, people are afraid of things like that. Some people are also afraid. Every once in a while, somebody's uh, been to a church service and they say something like, you know, the devil will enter your body if you're hypnotized, which is just not true. I don't know exactly where that came from, but people hypnotize themselves all day long. At least twice a day, everybody hypnotizes themselves just before they go to bed. And just as they're waking up, they're still in that relaxed alpha state. But yeah, people are afraid of, of some unusual things, usually because TV has made them think something weird is going to happen. Well, you say people hypnotize themselves. Is that the definition of getting into this alpha state? Or is there something different about just relaxing yourself and letting yourself think or do whatever it is versus, quote unquote, hypnotizing yourself? Is there anything different about the two activity. I think people use those terms interchangeably. They think about, people tend to think about hypnosis as something that somebody else is doing to them rather than thinking of it as self-hypnosis, is they're just getting into a meditative state. A lot of people, including myself, tend to see meditation and deep meditation and hypnosis as being really similar or in fact, you know, exactly the same thing. But with hypnotherapy, I'm guiding them to a particular issue. Sometimes it's maybe something that happened earlier on in their life that could be blocking them a fear or phobia that's getting re-triggered every time they try and do a particular thing. Other times it's just going back and to a time when you felt really relaxed or you felt really prosperous so you can feel that feeling again, making it a bigger part of your life. But yeah, people people have some unusual perceptions of it. It really is the same thing though. It's just getting into a very light state of trance. It's has to do with the way the brain waves work. Is there anything unexpected that comes out when you hypnotize people? Do they say non sequiturs or do they experience uh, strong emotions like laughing, crying, you know, anger? Uh, does it bring any of those things out? I mean, it can, obviously. I would say those kinds of expressions happen more in the longer past life regression things, which I'm not really doing right now. A lot of times if we're going into a past life regression situation, that's a, a very different session because those are usually quite a bit longer. The person goes into a time when maybe something very traumatic happened and they're remembering it. And particularly if a child has died in that lifetime, they're going to tap into that emotion of death and it can be very real and they can start crying. I actually have had clients during past life regressions you know, start speaking another language. And I I believe Japanese client who told me she doesn't speak any German. <laughs> so I was like, wow, that was quite interesting. Yeah, that does happen. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't know if you mind if we talk about the past life stuff for a little bit. What happens there? Like, what do people get out of it? What are they, any examples of stuff you could say that's happened that's interesting? Yeah, a lot of things. I had a client who came to me because she has this boyfriend that she keeps breaking up with and keeps getting back together, breaking up, get back together, getting up. You know, you've heard this pattern before, right? But can't seem to figure out why she can't let him go. And so we went back to, it turned out she went back to a past life where they were like the Aztec Maya time period. And she said, I asked her what, you know, what it is. I, she says, you would describe it as the Aztecs, but that's not how they call themselves. So I thought that was sort of interesting, but she was telling you it was, it was some special ceremony that bound them for eternity. And in her mind, it kept coming back to that. Now, now, whether that was true or whether that really happened, we can't see that or not, and we can't know that, but she was able to imagine herself breaking the vow and saying, hey, thanks, but no thanks. We're not going to do this again. And I did get an email from her later saying she was able to break up with them and started to move on and, and was looking forward to having a relationship with somebody who was a little bit better of a guy. Okay. Uh, any other interesting uh, results in these kind of sessions? Yeah, I've had a lot of people who had saw themselves back in the Holocaust. Those can be kind of traumatic. Had people burned at the stake, remember memories of that. I've had a lot of people who see, you know, relatives that they have now 
in different roles in their life. You know, their dad is was their brother in a different life or their mother was their father in a different life. And they know who these people are. So it's, I always find that interesting because we're not talking about people that really look the same. How could someone's mother be their father? That- we think that's not possible, but yeah, it's possible. Why isn't? If you are in a place of believing that we reincarnate at all, it's only one little step further to believe that we can reincarnate as a man one lifetime and as a woman in a different lifetime. But a mother and father would contemporaneously be alive, otherwise they couldn't produce the kids. So how could someone be both? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Mom in one lifetime and dad in a different lifetime. Oh, but of this, not of the same person or just a mom or a dad? A mom and a dad. Sorry, it's confusing. That's okay. No problem. I, I see what you mean. They'd be different gender, male or female on different lives. Right. Yeah, brothers and sisters, cousins, a boyfriend can be, you know, a sister in a, another lifetime. And what I, I find interesting as a practitioner is how easily they can distinguish who it is. So even though they don't look the same, it's just, oh, I know that that's my brother. Oh, that's my cousin in a different life. I find it really interesting. Well, you're saying that people can see the past lives of other people they know? They can see other people that they know in their current life having different roles in a past life. So we reincarnate together with the same people over and over again. So the core players of your play of life, Richard, your maybe your wife, your daughter, your dog may show up again over and over again because they love you and you guys work together as a team, right? But you may not play the same roles every time. But just think about it as a playhouse and there's like four or five main actors who really live there at that playhouse and then everybody else kind of comes and goes. You have a few people in your life that you reincarnate with every single time. They play different spots, but they're there almost all the time. Now they're reincarnated and they keep bothering you over and over and over. It's even worse. Yes, Richard, that's true. But they do. Get rid of these people. Absolutely. That's what we signed up for. Oh, interesting. So why do people want to do sessions like that and what do they get out of doing them? You know, that's a good question. I'm not 100% sure either, to be honest with you. But I, I will tell you that usually a past life regression session, the, honestly, usually the whole month of October is usually past life regressions used to be when I was doing them because I was had an office in person. I think it's like a Halloween thing. You know, I don't know. It's They think it's going to be something really more interesting than it is. I think a lot of people who like psychic readings will do past life regressions as well because they want to know who they were. Part of what motivates people to do past life regression therapy too is this belief that they are something or that they were something that they aren't in this life. So I do have a decent chunk of people who watch some History Channel special. I'm thinking of one in particular. Josh Gates did some Expedition Unknown thing on Genghis Khan. And I was like three guys calling and going, oh, I'm pretty sure it was Genghis Khan in a past life. I'm pretty sure you weren't. But sure, let's do a session. It'll be fun. And it is fun. It really is fun. But yeah, that kind of thing spurns those. Other times people come in with a fear or a phobia or a belief that their problem that they have currently is from a past life. A lot of times it's because they read Brian Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters. And they come in and think, okay, well, if I heal my fear of having a lot of money from a past life, then suddenly I'm going to be rich in this life. That's not really how it works, but it can show up that way. It's just, that's not really the most common reason. Well, how do you know what these people are experiencing is true or real? Is it? Yeah, that's a great point, Richard. And you know, the truth is we don't. We really don't. We don't know if they are experiencing a real past life where they were working in Queen Elizabeth's court or if it is just a deeply embedded dream. We've all seen enough of the History Channel to have those images in our mind and to be able to feel into that experience. But I will tell you the positive thing that come out of it is that the people feel more relaxed. If we do some work on releasing a trauma or upset, they're able to let go of it. If we're able to do that work, they come out of it feeling more relaxed and at peace and having some positive result as a result of it. And so if I personally 
feel like it doesn't necessarily matter if it's real or not. And because the, the truth is, we're just never going to know. I mean, sometimes I do get verifiable names and dates. That's not real common. And but those records don't all exist anymore. You know, it's not like you can find, you know, John Smith, 1400s in Bristol, England. You might be able to, but it's not real easy. How does this, do you feel like this benefits the people that are doing this, you know, this past life journeys, or is it just more of a, I don't know, just a fun thing for them? Like, is it, is it truly useful for them? Sometimes it is. And sometimes it's just a fun thing. I will tell you, I personally like to do them ones where we do some past life healing, where there's some, if there's an issue, I like to do, or we look for an issue that can be healed, that the person can let go of a fear or a phobia or something holding them back, or even family of origin beliefs around money. I look for things like that. That case, the person can just get a really beneficial session. Other times people just want to do, you know, something as a fun trip. They just want to see who they were. They believe they may have been in Victorian times. They saw themselves threshing. They had dreams, want to know what they mean. I personally think the second one, the example where people are just going for fun, isn't really that therapeutic. I think it's just sort of a parlor trick. But I love it when people are wanting to learn and explore self-growth through letting go of traumas from the past lives. But you bring up a really good point, Richard, and you're not the first person to ask that because a lot of people wonder if, eh, is this really important or is this just a parlor trick? Have you had an experience for someone where you were like, uh-oh, and you got to take them out of the hypnotic state or the past life uh, regression because it's going wrong or it's revealing something that shouldn't be revealed? Yeah, I absolutely had that one. It was the very first, I wrote about this in, in one of my books, very first past life regression I had ever did, person was Jewish. And she came in, she said, I think I was killed in the concentration camps. And she wanted to know about it. So we were actually looking for that so we could heal that trauma. And this was the first time I'd, I'd done one quite that intensely. And so we get there, we go back 1940, whatever, I think it was 1941. And she comes into the body and she's actually wearing an SS officer uniform and she's actually hurting people onto the train and she starts to get freaked out. She actually brings herself out of trance and I'm trying to, you know, hey, let's just calm and, and release it. We want to know what he was thinking. Why was he doing that? Maybe he was a spy, like didn't get enough information. But for me, it was a good learning lesson because I got to see, okay, we need to have them look at it from, you know, like as an outsider, just stand back and look at the uniform and see what it is and not necessarily jump in right away. So I added a few extra minutes to the beginning part where I had them. I talked to him about that and say, hey, if it's something it's hard to see, step back and just watch it like an observer. Okay. Interesting. You mentioned something about uh, clairvoyance as well. So like, are you, you know, before you do a session with somebody, you try to intuit, you know, what's up with them, maybe that they're not saying, or like, where do your insights come in and come from when you're working with somebody? So when I'm doing a psychic reading, I have permission from them to answer questions from a psychic level. But when we're doing a hypnosis reading, it's not the same thing. I'm I'm wanting to, from a hypnosis standpoint, get clear with them of what the challenges are. A lot of times, believe it or not, you can actually hear people's voice when they're telling you things that aren't true. So if I'm asking someone, I'll just use the weight loss example. Why do you think you suddenly started eating a lot more food than you needed? Oh, it's because I just like chocolate and I can hear, oh, ask her about her husband. I bet her husband's cheating. And so I start to kind of dig a little, well, tell me about what's going on in your relationship. So yeah, I am getting intuitive hits there. But what I'm really listening for is how they word things. I'm listening for inflections. I'm listening for when they say, if you say a word and you're, you're talking and everything's fine, you know, that everything's not fine because of the way they said everything's fine, right? You have to, years of trick practice. Like, like I've told my kids, say sorry. They're like, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mean sorry. Not sorry. Yes, that's right. That's the truth. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Right. Interesting. So is it necessary or useful for you to do that, you know, in a session? Or is it just yes. to it? Or like, what, what would be the reason? 
to get the intuitive information? Is that what right, yeah, to try to get this intuitive information. I think it just comes automatically. I'm not trying to necessarily. It's actually more helpful for me to hear them explain the challenge and explain why it's a challenge. And that is a little bit of the mental. My intuition always kind of clicks in no matter what, just because that's who I am. But I actually hearing the words for the hypnosis part of the session is actually more helpful. Also, the other thing I'm listening for too is I like to hear how people say things. So if you were to come in for a session, I want to write words and phrases down the way you say them and feed them back to you during the session because I found over the years that if I use your words, you're more likely to receive them, take them on and make them yours and, and the process is more likely to be more effective, which is funny and also a challenge because occasionally if I work with teenagers, I remember this, I was writing down words from, he was talking about video gaming and I'm like using phrases from his video games. And I realized he told me later that I had it wrong. I was like, okay, not going to try to be so cool. I'm going to make sure I get the phrase right. I think it was like, I had him making friends with two characters in a video game that would never be friends in the video game. So I got schooled. So I learned that lesson. Okay. Let's see what you mean. So where are you going with, you know, with these sessions? Are you just enjoying them and you're just going to keep doing more? Is there like a, a larger plan? Like, do you see that you need to adjust the types of ses sessions you're doing or the strategy to help people better? I think I kind of adjust as people come in with different issues because, you know, when you want a business, I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. You kind of shift to whatever the customer is asking for, right? So if I'm getting, right now, I'm getting a lot of people who are wanting to make changes in their financial situation. They want to improve their quality of their business. They want to get more customers. They want to start businesses. A lot of people like myself are coming out of the corporate world and want to start healing arts businesses, maybe as side hustles. They want to know how to do this and make money. So actually, this is why I wrote my book, my new book, The High Income Healer, was because I was giving the same advice over and over again. So I'm like, if I write this down, then I could just give it to them once and they could just read the book. But yeah, I'm helping clients get past those kinds of things so they can make better financial situations and also improve the family's financial situation by having more than one stream of, of revenue. Because I really do feel like people, this is the age of the entrepreneur, people really do need to have a side hustle if they have a job or if they've got a job or a side hustle, they need to start expanding out and getting more revenue streams so they can feel more comfortable and more safe with what's going on in the world. Okay. Fair enough. Well, very good. What's the best place for people to find out more about your work and maybe to uh, go for a session? Uh, just go to my website, jillkthomas.com. And yeah, just jillkthomas.com. My books are also on Amazon and you have to type in the K because there is a Jill Thomas and she wrote a book in Japanese and it's a great book, but it's not my book. So <laughs> jillkthomas.com. That's the way you can book online and you can also get links to all my stuff. There's a lot of cool free stuff on my website too. If you just want to nose around and, and get some free meditations, welcome and go and get anything you want. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Jill K. Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Richard. It was really a pleasure. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.